Facebook is one of the biggest and most effective marketing platform on the planet. It's huge. Almost everyone you know is on Facebook and quite a number of brands and businesses are spending millions of dollars to advertise on it, including small startups, mom and pop shops, local restaurants and even churches. You can spend as little as you want and target specific audience you want at a micro level. But the problem is this. Most people have no clue how to run adverts on Facebook. They either double, waste a lot of money or hire someone else to do it for them. So my team put together a short course to help you. It's called Facebook Ads Mastery Program. It's a comprehensive ebook and a video course on how you can launch and manage profitable Facebook ads campaign for your business. And we made it super affordable too. For less than $10, you can have access to this course. Go to www.backchannel.africa forward slash Facebook mastery. If that URL is too long, you can just go to the show notes of this podcast and click on the link and get access to the course. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. Lagos is my base, is where I live, and I started looking for where you can find underserved communities. I started with an orphanage I saw in Yaba, and they said, the age range I'm looking for, I can find in a transit home. They gave me the address. When I got there, they were like, oh, you have to write letter. Their letter took six months to get approved. There was a lot of stress, and you are doing the trip of Yabas Ruleri Ikeja in hot sun, trying to get letter approved to do free training. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. My guest today is Abisoye Ajayi Akinfolani. She's the founder of Purse Africa Foundation. Purse Africa Foundation is a very interesting organization that a lot of people have been hearing a lot about recently, and I'm fascinated with what they're doing. I've heard about the organization maybe two or three years ago. Abisoye is doing is to reduce gender gap opportunity by teaching girls how to code, uh, given that uh, coding or tech is the new oil or is the new opportunity for the future. But we're going to go into that today. We're going to talk about what she's doing, why she got into it, a vision for the future, and how she's been building an interesting organization and helping a lot of people, about 400 girls have been trained through our organization. So Abisoye, welcome to Building the Future. Thank you very much. Now, let's start from the beginning. A lot of people like you that do this, there is something in their past that connects to what they're trying to do now. It seems like it's a running thesis that you're trying to uh, validate. And that's what drives people like you. Whether you're giving money or whether you win the award or whether you are recognized or not, you will continue to do this stuff. And it has to do with something deep 
that connects maybe to your past or to you who you are that you are trying to prove? What is it? I think I, I'll say, I know what it feels like to be from an underserved community. Well, in my case, I know what it feels like to be a vulnerable young girl. And I know what it feels like not to have your major support system. So even though I lost my mom at four, I stopped living with my father at age 15. I think I can connect with a lot of stories out there with what various girls are going through. So our girls are from different marginalized society. It was really difficult trying to gain admission into school, especially university. And if you are to go on a memory lane and forget your current position and you step back in time, when you're through with secondary school and you're trying to gain admission into university, the talk of town is what university are you going and what course are you studying? And if you can't say any of those two, you're practically nowhere. You practically become a second-class citizen. So you don't have a voice. You can't talk because you are not in school. So, and that was actually my own life for a period of time. I remember walking into a bank one day and I saw someone we finished secondary school together doing IT. And for you to do IT, you're probably in 300 level to be doing IT. So I was like, wow, she's already in 300 level in university. And I wasn't in any university. Of course, I was making every effort to get into one. I was, of course, traveling by road to different schools, different states, writing exams, even sleeping on the floor to write post-UME and there was no show. During this period, I was in NIIT where I did some basic courses like Box Office, Word, Microsoft Word, Access and the likes. Then I remember I went on to do a bit of graphics, to learn graphics. At, at the same time, even though then it was just three times a week, you're allowed to come in. And because I didn't have a laptop, me and a particular person in class, Deborah, we took permission from another faculty to come into the class when we're not supposed to be and just sit at the back and be able to practice some of the things we learn. And I, rem- I remember that it allowed us, so instead of three times a week, we we're doing five times a week. And we realized that even when our, you know, regular class, our peers were coming to the NIIT school, we were way above them because we were not just learning by the book. We actually go around, we see billboards and we come back to replicate it. We bring exercise books, we come back. So we were doing practical stuff and not just what the book says, step this by step. graphics, right? Yeah. That was graphics. So left to me, I just felt, oh, finally, I probably have a life. Still on the journey, I was talking to my other brother, Tolu, and um, instead of talking to someone he calls, someone that he sees as a mentor, that's him, Chris Ekigwe, who runs an IT audit firm, EDP Audit and Secretary Associates. He was like, oh, your sister is not in school. Let her come to this place and learn. To be honest, when I got there, it was boring because you have a lot of geeks, a lot of People done with universities, masters, came back. Some have worked, came back to le- to get more experience so that they can command higher value. And many of them were programmers. And I was coming with graphics. Even though we, I managed to get a massive laptop, sorry, massive computer with the entire components, CPU and the likes. And it was a good thing that, oh, finally I have a computer. But you, to be honest... You have the computer at home? Or? No. I was able to bring it to their office because you're meant to have yours. Then it was so good. I was like, they're all learning programming, but I'm going to just continue my graphics. So I was really excited that that was what I was doing. So the chairman said, oh, what book are you reading right now? Because there was a lot of self-development. You learning your computer programming is you by yourself and your computer. And you have a a book of over 2,000 pages to finish in two weeks because somebody else is waiting to grab it. So it was a tough environment and of course because I wasn't um, a science student and I had to fight between creativity in the graphics world with computer programming and I did the entire basics. So eventually I got, I think I got serious because when the chairman sees me every day and says, 
you are not a serious person. What are you doing with your life? How many books have you read in the past few months? And, you know, he kept talking like that. I realized that, okay, something must be wrong if this man is talking the way he's talking. Maybe it's me. I was like, okay, maybe I should get serious. At the same time, I was one of the youngest in the entire place. Of course, that's enough to actually discourage anyone to say, I don't belong here. I don't fit in. And everybody's too serious. What, what, were, what were they learning? What, what, what there was a lot. I mean, MCSD, as Microsoft Certified Solution Developer, which is um, um, VB6, VB6 and .NET at the time. Okay, I, I heard of that, Microsoft. So that's, that's more or less front-end. Front-end stuff. Yes. But the .NET, you, were you learning C++ C++ or C Sharp or whatever? What, what, what language were you learning? Mine wasn't C++, wasn't C Sharp. It was just VB6.NET. They're not relevant, but they've been upgraded. Okay, I have very little knowledge about programming. So in those days, people just learn all the certification to be able to work as systems administrators, mm-hmm. systems, whatever. They're not really writing. They're not writing code. They're not. You are writing codes because eventually you're going to do your exams. Okay, yeah, but for the exams. But they're not building product, a lot of them. You're not really building product, but eventually I got a task to build something. When I was given that task, I just thought it's something that, you know, I'll just get away with. And I asked, does anyone has done it in the history of the company before? So the chairman said, oh, wait, you have MCSD now, which is five exams in one, and you have OCDBA, which is Oracle Database. Oh, now do a web application for course forms. So when clients come in, they don't have to fill paper forms. They can, you know, fill online and make it happen. So I thought Access Database was going to do that for me. I struggled with that for a few months. It didn't work. So I thought to use the MCSD and the Oracle. So MCSD was, MCSD was going to be my front end and the Oracle Database was going to be my back end because you need the data structure where the, the information you input from the front end can actually get somewhere to sit at the back end. And everything, unlike what you have now, everything was programmed from your text box to your labels to everything it has to be programmed with codes. So that's how I can say you ha- I built something and I struggled with it for one year. One year. Yes. So it must be amazing for you to see how programming is a little bit easier now. It cheaper. is. There's a lot of there's a lot up. of drag and drop now. Yes. And those drag and drop elements as are then were be were programming them. So you you see a lot of programmers, I mean, you'd be one of those generations of programmers that see how things are easy now and there might be some tendency of looking down on people, oh, you guys are not real programmers. But then these guys are building stuff that mm. they don't have to worry about trying to code for a month or two years. Mm-hmm. They just have to worry about, will this product, is this, will this product work? Mm-hmm. Will it, will, is it serving the right purpose? Uh, will, it, will customers buy the product and stuff? So they don't have to worry too much about some of the technical stuff that you're worrying about. Is that good in your opinion? Well, I, I'll say the world is moving forward and um, tech is still evolving. As of then, I was just the only one doing everything, front-end, back-end, product development, checking if it's nice, if the front-end is nice, if, the, if it's user-friendly enough, just doing everything. Now, everything I was doing then can be done by six people because your focus is on the graphical interface, the GUI, your focus is on the back-end, your focus is on the product development, your focus is on the business management angle. It's easier now for a lot of people. It's okay to be from where I'm coming from, and it's also good for you to upgrade your knowledge. And to know that you may necessarily not have to do everything because there are different roles and different things that people can do now. So yes, it's evolving. So let's go back to your journey. So you found yourself working in that place um, with a lot of um, 
uh, more mature programmers. You were the youngest. Uh, probably you, were you the only lady or one of the minorities? One of the minorities. One of the yes. minorities. Um, and you struggled to get into university, not because you didn't pass your SSE, but... I, the, I passed my SSE like once. So I never repeated it, for instance. It's just getting the entrance exams into university, with, which is complicated in many ways. Getting... Uh, getting into university in Nigeria, if you know, it's, it's a case of you have, for instance, you have you have 20,000, for instance, 20,000 people graduating from secondary school trying to get to university. And the slot you have for university is probably 5,000. What do you do with the rest of the 15,000 people? That's the case of Nigeria. Maybe very few. It's a case of do they have distinctions all the way? Or do they have someone who is holding their hands to say, let's go to school, I know somebody. Or they can pay private university. Or they can pay private university. So when you're, in my case, there was no money for private, because I actually gained admission to a private university. You did? I did. There was no money. There was no money for that. Then, I, of course, my NECO, my WIAC, everything was once. There was no school ready to take us at the time, a couple of us. Then my jam was that, was the one I was repeating every year. <laughs> Even when I had a very great score, it was a struggle to get into school. So I remember going into I'll go into I'll go to Unilag to feel like I'm going to school, and I'll go and check the board every day to see if my name was probably on the list every day. Then I'll go back. Oh, there's somewhere to eat, eat and go. I feel like a student. Just to get that, just to feeling get that yourself. feeling that I can. I want to go to school. I want to be in the school environment. I want to see people go to school. Was my life. Were you selective about the university you wanted to go no, to? No, I wasn't. Because I've, I went to Lasso to also write exams. I went to Labis and Obanja to write exams. I went to Kogi State to write exams. I think I must have written one to in Abuja. Then I tried Lagos. So I wasn't all about I must go to Unilag. It was not my case. So that struggle in itself uh, led you to think through so many things that could have worked for you if you have some conditions like um, a very strong, supportive both parents helping you or, or financially. And you can see that you're a smart lady, and it's very obvious <laughs> now um, with what you're doing. A smart lady, if you just have the right support system in place, you can go faster and farther than you have gone then. And you saw that, that you have to do a lot of things yourself. A bit like what we're talking about, the coding, mm. that you could do this hard work of doing your back end, front end, and everything yourself. Or you could have this truck and drag and drop stuff mm -hmm. and you and is that what led you to, to what you're trying to do now thinking through there should be an easier way for ladies or for people with my background to be able to do this better um i was in that organization for i think seven and a half years and i think it was my second year that again that company does a lot of things it was not just a training place where you train yourself there was a software that was being used and it's called audit command language so that's something you have to learn and before you get into that you must have done your mcsd oracle probably solaris and the likes there may be CISA, certified information system auditor to be able to have the right command use of language and be able to learn understand and pass the message across to clients coming in to be able to use it for their own organization and businesses. So the software helps companies recover funds, discover ghost workers, duplicate records and the likes. Was was probably an advanced level of advanced Excel that that was doing. So it, it got to a point I started taking classes because I've attended, I've been a support system, support staff, support everything, help them with manual printing, manual editing and all sorts. So it got to a point I started actually started taking classes. You are teaching classes? Yes, I taught a class of NDIC people who came once 
and I took the class from morning to evening. What's NDIC? It's a government agency. It's a government agency. When you joined that organization, you joined as a student, were you paying? Or you join us a favor, like your, your brother knows the MD. My brother knows the MD because I was actually supposed to pay, but I didn't pay because I didn't even have the money to pay. So what I know I paid for was my, um, what's it called? What I paid for was just my certification exams that my brother and myself actually sorted out. So yes, I didn't pay to get in. And I know, I think a lot of people pay to get in. So in my case, not paying, there were other things I had to do to support not paying, which is... Um, a T-girl, career service work. For instance, they are inviting people in for trainings. You have to deliver letters all over, all over Lagos. And of course, that was, not, that was not a case of you sitting in a car, your driver is taking you to do that. You are jumping bus all over Lagos. And you get to Victoria Island, they tell you that, sorry, the company you're looking for is in Ikeja. Yes. Or so you get to Ikeja, they tell you that it's in Lekki. That oh, this particular tight um, rule, this control controller general is actually not here. This is where it took. That was really the norm. And of course, making sure the office is intact was also a part of our job. So it was really a training um, place, I'll say, before I even grew to become associate consultant and started taking a lot of classes. For instance, I took some Oracle classes too with some MTN staff who came at the, at the time. And some other companies who actually who were around then. But I remember that was because of my creative side, I thought I was going to go for mass communication or English because I, I thought since I like to talk, that is the future of those who like to talk. You'll probably be reading news. So it was the people I actually mingled with in the organization that said, oh, um, you have so much experience and things going on for you now that they don't think English is English or uh, mass com is the right fit for me. I should consider either computer science, accounting. I mean, those were the two they were mentioning. It's because you are still considering what you were doing as an hobby or just a side stuff. You were thinking going to university is the thing and to study something that I can work with properly. In my brain, I was just going to school because everybody was going to school. Interesting. So my aid, I mean, you get into life, the culture says you have to be a student, you have to go to school. And if you don't go to school, you can't make it. So that was the norm. That was the school of thought. And when I got into the organization, they were because they are they are people who are very mature and they have a lot of experience. So they were saying, with what with the experience I was getting at the time, it would be best to do a computer science in school or accounting. So I thought I want to get into the middle of it all. I will do business admin because I will find accounting in it, statistics will be in it, mathematics will be in it, and I can combine it with what I'm doing currently. So, and that was what I did. So again, I'm sure probably my second year in the company. And this was a part-time was part-time, so which means I'm in this office from Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm in school. That must be really tough and because you're working seven days a week. And Yes, I didn't. I mean, that was my life. I didn't even know if there was any other life that existed that period. That was the only thing I was doing. And it's possible to say, oh, you didn't have a life, but I don't even know what life was because that was what I was doing. Schooling, working, schooling, working, schooling, working. I even had a business on the side. So I was selling stuff to people in school, clothes. Interesting. And before we came on air, I commented on how you're looking tired and you say you've been tired for days. <laughs> and, and I can imagine because of the kind of work that you do and the kind of life. So do you, would you say that that time prepared you for something that you're, trying, you're doing now, which is this that time actually intensive work? prepared me for what I'm doing now because I didn't even know I was going somewhere. So even while I was doing my, my studies, I was just praying that... God help me that this thing makes sense tomorrow. Because to be honest, while I was at EDP, it was like... What's EDP? 
EDP Audit and Security Associates. It's a company I did my training, my IT training. It was like, this is it. But you, you're not sure what Nigeria will say tomorrow. They may say, if you don't have a degree, you don't have anything, and nobody should employ you. So I wasn't even sure if I was going, if I was going to work for someone or I was going to start up something. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I was just trying to practically dot my I's and cross my T's that, oh, I need to get a degree. Will the degree be recognized tomorrow? What does the degree look like now? Can I present it anywhere? So it was a thing of backup that I was trying to do. That I knew that what I was doing with tech is what I'm probably going to do tomorrow. But I also need to let people know that I went to school. And because the struggle was a lot, even though I, a part of me knew I'd be talking to people and I, I was like, I, I need people to know that I went to school before I tell you to go to school. So you can't tell someone to go to school and say education is, is important if you are not educated yourself. Except, and, except you're my mom. You didn't go to university, but make, make me go to university. But because in Nigeria, people will tell you that, but you didn't go to school. Why will you tell me to go to school? So people won't listen to you because you don't have a degree. And of course, I, I needed to be someone tomorrow even though I wasn't sure where I was going, to be honest, because I just thought I was voiceless and lack of education can actually make you voiceless. Now the question is, what kind of education are you getting? And education comes in different forms. I mean, with what I know now, you don't have to be restricted to the four walls of a school to be educated. There are people that don't have degree and if they talk, you think they studied in Harvard and they never left Nigeria. So, so you, you, you went through that. You, your son now said that you fought your way into that. You're working, uh, and then you went to university part-time, and you studied, and you got a... Uh, there was a debate that you and I were trying to have before before we went on here about what would you advise someone who is, was in the same situation like you? Probably started a kind of a job or a career, and they had this opportunity to either leave it and go for a full-time four-year or three-years university degree or do part-time. And knowing that in Nigeria, there's a bit of a stigma around which is undeservedly so, by the way, around people that went to part-time university or they'll say, okay, because maybe this person is couldn't get into jam or whatever. And I'm not sure, is it written on the, on the certificate that is part-time? I, th- I think the degree should be the same. The degree is the same. It is written somewhere little that it is part-time. Interesting. It's written, if I can remember, because I only saw it once and I just kept it away. When did I even get it? I, probably, I think I got it five years ago. Because it wasn't my focus. Because even when I got it, because instead of four years, I had to do five years. And when I did five years, they said, oh, because exam is once a year, not a semester that you miss something, you come back the same year. They said, oh, that I had a missing script. And once you have a missing script, you can graduate to your, your scripts are complete. Missing script means I have to wait for another one year to write that paper that they can find. So initially, my thought was, oh my God, I was hoping that I was probably going to get a job. But a part of me felt there's a lot I know now that the youth of Nigeria do not know that I think I can pass across as, you know, as information that they need. So I wasn't too bothered with the fact that I had a missing script, which means I have an automatic one year. This happened twice. Wow. So twice they were missing your script? Yes. It's actually happened twice. And it wasn't your fault? If not that you have a job, it's like wasted two years. Yes. If I didn't have anything anything else I was doing in my life, then it's like, what am I going to do for the next two years? Where am I going to present my degree that, oh, I have a degree now, I, I deserve a job. So, which means I had like extra two years. The extra two years were not automatically one missing script. Okay, wait for another one year, read up, come for the exam, bring your um, proof that you need to write just one paper, come for the class, write it and go. With the hope that the following year you get your degree and they tell you another story, another missing script. So I was like, okay, 
I spent years trying to get into school. Now I managed to get into school. To get out of school is not a problem. But it's a good thing that the school was not what I carried on my head, that if my life would not move forward without this. There, was, there were certifications, there were places to work. There, there was so much going on for me on the side of the school. You are probably more employable than most graduates Yes. Uh, in the university at yes. that point. I even started, I, start, I mean, right there, there was, a, there was, I don't even know how to put it. There was a lot of, there was a lot of things I didn't understand because people I was in class with, they know jack about computers. So I find people, if they have laptop, which I did not even have, they were playing games. They were somewhere watching movies. And yet I'm coming from where we help companies recover funds, missing funds, stolen funds. They get their money back in millions. And so it, it, it made me realize the power of a computer and what you as a person can do with a computer. And you watching movie with the same tool that is that can do magic and do wonders and actually change your life for good. So there was a conflict and I didn't get rest until I started organizing programs in school. So I think it was my fourth year that I started passing questionnaires to ask people what they think about computers. I think I must have circulated 200 papers that I retrieved and I read what everybody wrote about it. They said they don't know much about it. They've seen it before. They've seen computer before. They can't do anything with it. What year was this? Must have been either 300 or 400 level. No, what year? What year exactly? Mm-hmm. I have to go check my papers. This was 2000. And nine. Interesting. About. Interesting. No, this, it's going to get more interesting now. After reading everything, I realized people said they needed orientation program to even know more about it. That was when I realized I have to do a conference in school. Then I started trying to register a company, which whoever it was I was helping then was just taking money away from me. They told me the name was available and I'd printed and to print colored proposals in pages to companies a lot of money. I'd printed so much, I've dropped it, and they came out to say the name they thought was available was no longer available. And who I paid money to just took the money away. But I didn't give up. I, st- I stayed at it till I was able to register the company. And I remember registering 2012. 2011, 2012. I can't I don't even know what date on it right now. Do you have to register a company to do a conference? Because I was reaching out to companies and I need sponsors. Right. So I was writing to companies telling them, this is what I want to do. This is the reason why I want to do it, ABCD. To be honest, the first year, we didn't get a dime. But Nobody Nestle, responded. Nestle brought drinks. And I think I must have used my personal funds to sort out other things. So I partnered with the school for the venue. And we had over 2,000 people in attendance. So a lot of people was a big success because it's like no one has done a youth ICT youth conference in the school before. So it was a conference, not was, a masterclass or training program. No, it was a conference that we brought in speakers to actually enlighten people on what the world of technology is all about and the kind of opportunities that you can find in the world of technology. So we brought in New Horizon. Benga Sheson also came to speak. I think I must have actually spoken at some point too. So I remember, I mean, there was nothing like a photographer, somebody managed to do a banner for me. So it was really a struggle. But I remember that I was using a Blackberry Boat 4 and we're at the backstage, which is you are facing the audience. And a friend said, oh, let's take a picture of the crowd. And I thought it wasn't necessary. But the guy collected my phone and he took a picture with a Blackberry Boat 4. So you can imagine what the picture looks like. I'm sure I still have that picture. And that picture was what we took to a bank the following year and we got money. In seven digits. Interesting, because they saw the crowd. They saw the crowd. And what you've done. And mobile money was in thing then, and you need crowd. You need people, you need students to register for mobile money. So they're like, oh, can you put this crowd? I say, yes. And that was and that was it. So, again, we moved from what motivated you, the background, to something that you actually did. 
you, you, you started gathering experience around organizing people around knowledge and ideas and also getting um, sponsorship, which was built on, on the back of that. Now, how did you then move from there to, to the next stage or to what you're doing? Now? Again, from my personal journey and experience, I've, I've actually thought when I eventually see a seven digits, my, I will get to a place where I will say I've arrived. And I remember when the money came in, there was a big dissatisfaction. So it was like there was a void. Again, I was looking forward to the money. There was no void. It was just all about when will they pay this money? When will this money be paid? It wasn't paid three months after the program. Oh, they didn't even give you the money no. before the program? No. So I had to borrow money, get things going so that I can pay back people when the money comes in. Yeah, that's painful. <laughs> so when the money came in, because there were times I'll go check the ATM just to see if the figure is there, if the figure is there. Eventually when I saw it, I was very unhappy because again, you'd have thought that uh, you've suffered too much in life. And when you get your seven digits, you know, you should be living in the moon and everything. Of course, that also gave me confidence to actually walk to the embassy and apply for a visa. I'd done that, I think, seven years before then. I wasn't given. I was devastated. And I said I wasn't going again for a very long time. And when I walked into the, em- to, to the embassy, I got my visa. What were you going for? Uh, was it, for? was actually my cousin's wedding. Okay, not a conference. Or no, no, nothing. It was my cousin's wedding, which I wanted to just had a bit of vacation to that. Oh, I've never traveled to the US before. So why not try this time around? So I tried everything. I filled my form, did everything by myself. No one knew till I got the visa. And you'd have thought that after getting visa that I've been looking for all my life, because I thought... I was also of the school of thought that until you go to America, you can't be successful. Because some people told you that. Oh, because yes, it had, everyone has been ringing it in my ears everywhere since I was born. So let's 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 break down some two things you said there about that people have said, and mm-hmm. then it's good to actually break this down for a lot of uh, some people will be listening to this podcast and say, "What? That's crazy!" Because they don't understand the the context in which this mm-hmm. kind of stuff comes out mm-hmm. in Africa or especially in Nigeria, and it, and it boils into a lot of things around migration, people crossing dangerously crossing mm-hmm. the Mediterranean to get into Europe, people going through the desert. It, it boils into that. And also boils into thousands and thousands of people going into university in Nigeria, uh, coming out and with no job prospect or, or, or trying to live a middle class life. Two things there. One is, if you don't go to university, you said you are voiceless. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think that you're not serious. Mm-hmm. The second one is, if you have not traveled out of the country, you can't make it. You can't make it. Mm-hmm. The, we know those two things are wrong, mm-hmm. but they are truism to a lot of people. They're just obvious to them that they can point to tens of people in their community that they went to university and that's their, their life became better, which is true to some extent. Education is one of the best way that increases your chances of success mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody will be entrepreneurs. Not everybody will be su- successful as business people. But education gives you it increases your level, your the, the middle class it does. Uh, uh, ch- probability. But then it is not totally true that you, if you don't go to university, you can be successful. If mm-hmm. you go to university, you have the chance of being successful. Yes. Treading that line can be difficult, and especially teaching people that in a country like Nigeria where you want to motivate people to go beyond like what you're doing now with the, with, with the under, underserved community you want to motivate them to, 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 to be educated but you also want to not tell them some of the stuff about that maybe you if you don't go to university your life is nothing mm-hmm. you're voiceless mm-hmm. so I wanted, I wanted to explore that and I wanted to explore secondly that um, migration thing migration truism to, to some people 
it's it's a school of thought and it depends on where you are and who you are talking to and the people around you i mean yes i i mean i've been told people have said it over and over again that until without education you can't be successful as we just said now going to school increases your chances but there are also a lot of people who are done with university and they are looking for jobs and they've been looking for jobs for a long time either ways i would say go to school and i would say don't settle and say it is all about the school. Get experience. And there are ways you can get experience. I know I know two young people, for instance. One has one is done with university, has master's degree. And you won't believe that she doesn't have experience. And I know a young boy who also just finished university. But even before he finished university, we've been working together two years before then, a full-time school. So every time this guy has out of school, is somewhere. Either he's volunteering or he's doing internship, he's teaching, he's developing software, he's doing something. So the question is, your time is your life, what are you doing with it? And people need to be informed because it may be lack of information. People just think that once I'm in school, they get this certificate fever that I go to school, I come out of school, you de- I deserve a job. And the world has changed. People don't look at your degree anymore. They see it as one of the things, but they look at your experience. What do you have? What can you offer? What are you bringing to the table besides the fact that you went to school? Because they know, companies know that they still have to do a lot of training. The question is, you can also get this training before you get to these companies. Because organizations will always choose those who have experience. With probably degree on the side. Over those who just bring in degree and say, you, I, you, I deserve a job, you must give me a job. And that's why I, I said that I thought, I was of the opinion that the world will not recognize you as a person till you get a degree, till you go to school. And that was why I was struggling to get into school. What many people don't know about uh, university, which is a, the modern day university that we see now is a relic called the Industrial Revolution, uh, where you get people in to, to, to be educated, to, be, to manage uh, the industrial complex. And what people don't know about university now, and, and suppose, I mean, the way it was structured to be is, it, demonst- it doesn't demonstrate your, your qualification mm-hmm. to do a job. So mm. let's say you went to university to study mechanical engineering. Your certificate is not a qualification that you are a mechanical engineer. Exactly. It demonstrates your ability to learn, mm. to learn specifics of that trade. That's what it, that's what it shows. Or if you're a business, if you went to university to study business administration, it doesn't demonstrate your qualification of being a business manager. It demonstrates your ability to learn the specifics of being a business manager. And then you still need to go through that learning process by starting a job and, and understanding it. what you're talking about now, which is fantastic, is you can accelerate your learning and your ability, to, your qualification, by what you're learning that university stuff, but you can also be doing some volunteers or doing some uh, experience stuff. I did a lot of volunteering work all my life. And I think people don't know that there's a gold mine when you volunteer. If there are two people, I mean, we've been able to have certain staff because they came in as volunteer and we retain them and start paying them what they are worth. But we didn't go out to say we are looking for ABCD. Those ones who come in with with their shoulders high thinking that, oh, you need me. But the question is, what can you do? So it's better you walk into an organization and say, I want to work for free because you want to learn. And people will actually open their books to you. There are things they will give a volunteer to do that they will not give a staff to do. 
But that's also hard, though, if you're coming from a, a very underprivileged, um, not rich um, family. Um, working for free could be difficult, um, almost impossible. Working because for you have free. to travel and leave and stuff. Again, working for free, maybe that you're not just being paid for the job, does not mean you're not getting transportation and feeding. Right. Because, for instance, many of our volunteers, we do that with them. Feeding is constant. Tea fair is a must. Because we know that you are paying for something. But you're also trying to gain from some form of experience. So that's I'm saying that there are places I volunteered that even transportation I wasn't given. Neither was I fed. But at the same time, I know better not to do that to the people we are now working with now. I mean, there are various sort of trainings and experiences I've gotten that have modified to actually fit in the current situation of life. So yes, volunteering, I cannot even count how many places I've worked with people. Some don't even know that I worked with them. And today we sit at the table together. And yet I worked for them for free. Interesting. Because I was just one of the many. So there, there is a gold mine in volunteering that people don't know. Because in you volunteering is you knowing, probably knowing what you want to do in life. It's not just because you're going to school. It's to know where your passion lies, what's is, what it is that you can do without being paid. And of course, there, there may still now be a form of payment eventually. But volunteering just has a beautiful gold mine that people don't explore, especially in Nigeria. It's a big deal outside the country. Even international um, organizations will look at your volunteering experiences first before they check your degree. Are you talking, are you mixing up again with internship or just volunteering for, uh, for courses? There is internship and there's actually volunteering. There are two different things. Yeah, volunteering for courses. I mean, I think I would say Nigeria, gradually we are waking up to it now to know that it is actually a big deal. Again, it is not, it is not fancy. It is not in vogue. It's not trendy. You can't, but some of us know that that was what helped us through life. Volunteering from different places. Even things I don't know anything about, I was volunteering for. And that's why you can count, you have various experiences in different fields and forms because you have volunteered a lot. To be honest, there were so many people telling me who are probably how much money I need to bring to get a visa. People said how I have to change my status to be gay to enter Canada some years ago. That must have been probably 10 years ago. What? Oh, yes. 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 A guy actually told me. But, and I think people, we, people are getting information like this. People are being told things like this on a daily basis. And because people feel that there is a greener pasture somewhere out of Nigeria, they are willing to go. Oh, they're not talking about visiting. They're talking about migrating and leaving. A lot of people visit and stay there. Right. Okay. I mean, a lot of people say they want to visit and actually stay there. So it is still migration. It is just getting out. They've been different. Bring money, bring this, turn to this. Say you marry this one. Say you do this just to travel. And that was actually my life. But because I got denied. Do you have inspiration? I mean, do you have aspiration to do that? It's like I want to travel to the country. I wanted to travel to school because I gained admission somewhere in New York years ago and I didn't get the visa. So I just thought, and again, I had the entitlement mentality that, but for God's sake, I have admission. I should be qualified for visa because I did not know better. I thought that was supposed to be enough. So I was devastated and I got angry and I said, I'm not coming back to this place to apply for anything or attend any visa interview that I'm going to sit in this country and see what can become of my life. And as I was saying that until I got my seven digits working, trying to do things for the youth and everything, I got the confidence to actually apply again. So it's not as if I've been applying. It's like I didn't apply for eight years. No application. And people kept pushing me. 
that, oh, do this, change your religion, come to this, do this, do that, just to travel. Now, that there has to be something with this traveling. Is it that when you go there, you see God? I mean, there has to be more. I didn't understand it for a very, very long time. And that's why when I was going, and they asked me at the embassy that, why haven't you traveled before? To be honest, I think I didn't have any form of fear because I just felt I'm here. I'm a bona fide Nigerian and I'm not even sure who I'm owing or who is owing me so I can talk. And I was like, you guys didn't give me visa when I wanted to go. And they, I mean, they were like, why are you going now? And why are you going to come back? I mean, those questions, for God's sake, I wasn't planning to leave the country anymore for good. Again, I've not stepped out before. This was probably, I was probably 27 years old. So imagine being in Nigeria and never traveled for 27 years of your life. And so even when I did, eventually, everybody thought I was crazy trying to come back to Nigeria. People living there thought I was crazy. Every state I go to, they're like, you can't be serious. What are you going back to do in Nigeria? But then I'd organized a conference. I'd done this for the second year. I'd gotten seven digits legally that I did not have to do um, things you are not proud of to get. So I thought there has to be more in this place. But even after the conference and everything, now back to the question you asked about how did I get to what I'm doing now? Even after seeing their feedback forms from different conferences and after getting money, knowing that you can actually get seven digits by organizing conferences and the likes, I wasn't still We're satisfied. talking about seven digit Naira? Oh, Naira. Naira. Oh, Naira, because I was working with Nigeria um, companies. I wasn't satisfied because there were more guys than the girls. Even with my experience with the company I did my training, there have always been more men than the women. So it's been a, a thing in my subconscious that there's something wrong with the female folk, even though I didn't know what it was. I, didn't know, I, I can't find them in STEM. I can't find them in, in boardrooms. Because the kind of people we were, because when we go out for conferences in the IT audit firm, when we go out of the office, you find men in suits and you find maybe just one woman in out of 40 people. So there's been a battle because we didn't understand it. And maybe me and somebody else, we are manning the reception desk. We are seeing names. We are seeing the companies they are coming from. We are researching the companies to know what they do. And, wh- and we don't understand why there are less women in these places. Then thinking, so it, was, it took a, a lot of sitting down and thinking through my life that, to be honest, you can you find maybe one or two men who has helped my technology experience. But you won't really find the women saying, this is what you should do, do computer, be in this organization. So I'm wondering, if this is my case, what's going on with the girls out there? I didn't want it to be a business. If it's a business, then you find more men again. Then I thought, with all the experiences I've gotten... Or you don't want to create it as a business where people have to pay to come in because There is that version now. There is that model now. Because that would mean that the selection would be men. Majorly, yes, you cannot because that was the money. thought then that I wasn't going to, into a business because even the consulting firm that I set up to be able to do youth conferences and workshops that I was doing with schools, I call that business because of registered business. But I needed to do something for those who cannot even afford this thing because I felt the experience I got in life is what gave me a voice eventually. The question is, how can this, how can young girls in impoverished homes now have the same voice? So what we tell them now, the education is extremely important, even the same forwards of school and what they are doing right now. Many of them are good. Many of them have projects that they are working on. And we realize that many of them are actually employable right now and they are not in university. They are teenagers just, just because 
You're teaching them relevant skills and they are building products currently. And this is something you really find even with a lot of graduates. I was once there. One of the courses that was meant to be taken serious was a pass or fail course, entrepreneurship. And then I was angry as a student because of the experience I, I was getting where I was working. Entrepreneurship course should never be a pass or fail course, which means you just need to get a 40. It's not, you're not counting it. It should not be done. And that's why you have a lot of people looking for a job, even with first class, because they are not trained to either start up something or train that when you're on holiday, these are things you can do with your time. And that's what, I mean, and, and I know you said something about should people should encourage you to go to full-time school? Yes, because if I got the option for a full-time school, I would have gone before I gained and before I started um, in the IT audit firm. It was because the IT audit firm came up. It, it was a form of growth process. It wasn't fun, but it was a form of growth process. I realized eventually that this place is challenging. So anything that can challenge your brain does not necessarily have to be fun. But tomorrow you get the benefit of it, really. I know a lot of you today are looking for overnight success. Just want to wake up and realize I'm successful. So, so, uh, so let's go back to how you started this this process. So you had an idea. Okay, I want to I want to bridge that gap, the gender gap in STEM, in technology businesses, and I want to focus on um, girls girls from underprivileged homes mm-hmm. uh, who probably will not have that opportunity. So let's talk about how you then move, uh, formulate the idea and, and then validate your assumptions and launch it. Um, even before I registered the NGO, I've been going to Ibadan with a friend of mine who is an engineer to mentor girls. So um, she would do most of the time, she did the legwork for the Ibadan phase, you know, gathering girls from schools, coming around, but it was just one-off and I didn't want a one-off. I felt that if we are going to make lasting impact. It cannot be one-off. One-off won't work, which is once a week or once a month. And of course, Lagos is my base, is where I live. And I started looking for where you can find underserved communities. I started with an orphanage I saw in Yaba. And they said, oh, the age range I'm looking for, I can find in a transit home. They gave me the address. There are transit homes? Yes. Correctional children, transit home and correctional centers. So when move from the orphanage... They- I went transit home when they they get age range, parents. yes, age range. So they said the 10 to 17 gap I'm looking for, I mean, age range I can find in the transit home. And that was why I got to know about the place, the existence of the place. And of course, when I got there, they were like, oh, you have to write letter because we are under legal state and we don't give room for this. Their letter took six months to get approved. Of course, there was a lot of stress. Rewrite the letter. The letter is not well written. And you are doing the trip of... In hot sun, trying to get letter approved to do free training. And at, at this point, you don't even have funding. No, there was no funding. So you don't have funding. You're trying to do this yourself. You're pushing to get access to the people you want to train for free. Yes. We just got to a point we got tired because we can't approve the letter ourselves. Then I started looking for the next underserved communities. So the next underserved community, then I was talking to someone, a young lady, and she said, oh, have you heard about Makoko? I was like, no. And she said, oh, I know someone that knows someone. Eventually, I got into Makoko after going through five people. So everybody sees Makoko, but nobody knows. How. Most people don't know how to get in, right? So you're so. traveling on the Tomiland Bridge. Yes. You, you look from, from, the, from the mainland to the island. You look at your right. You see that community on top of the water. Mm-hmm. That's Makoko, right? Yes. But most people see it or they ignore it. It's just one of the 
one of the backdrop of the Tomelan Bridge and the lagoon. So you know that, right? But mm-hmm. you don't know the community at that community. point. So why is it difficult to get access to the community? What I tell people is, is a different government that operates in that place. Interesting. And the government has sub-governments. Even though, how do you get access to Makoko if you don't know someone who works there? So it's just because this lady knows another lady. To be honest, there are probably two people I have not met till today in the mix of the five people. Just phone call and talking about what we need to do and they kept pushing me to the next person, to the next person, to the last person which I still talk to today is a man that has a factory in Makoko. He had to, he was one to, that now gathered people. He said, I know the ones that go to school. I know the ones not serious. So the community cannot allow you in. Uh, you cannot just go the in is a bit knock hostile. on doors and say, hey, do you have girls no, that want you to? you can't. Because the community will say, we don't want this or what? The community doesn't even understand what you want to do. The community is a community that lives under $2 a day. The community is a community that I think government has been trying to take over for a long time and displace them. The government has been trying to displace that community yes, for a long time. for a very long time. So they formed that insular Exactly, protection. they can't let you in because they believe you are part of them. As long as you're not in, you're out and you're out, you're against them. So it was a lot of struggle. So the guy helped me to gather, to gather girls that we started talking to. And it was like, even when I got into the place for the first time, I actually wanted to run out because I wasn't sure where I was. I wasn't sure if what I was bringing was a solution to what I was saying. Did you go on your own or you went with someone? I went to it. I went, I, I, the first time I actually went on my own. Second time I went to someone. Then subsequently I started going with my husband to be, which is my husband now. Because when I told him about it and I showed him pictures, he, he too was surprised that, wait, this place exists. In Lagos? In Lagos. Very close to multi-million dollars. No, very close to Banana Island, actually, because a week before, I think someone sent me to Banana Island to drop off something. Yeah. And I'm seeing Makoko the following week. And there are two worlds apart. And they're just not too far from each other. Far. And Banana Island is one of the most expensive real estate in Lagos. Exactly. So it's so that's, that's what I'm saying. That I'm, I'm, I was not thinking that, is it technology that will be the solution to these people, to, to, what, to, what, to what I'm saying here? And I had to go back and think that, am I sure I'm supposed to go to this place? Because even though I'm looking for underserved communities, this is practically below underserved communities. It's like, I, I believe it's the, it's the lowest level of poverty you can find. Why did you say that? You need to get into Makoko to see the way of living. Is I I I have different form of experiences with different people, and I realize that the more time you spend, the more you know. When I say more time you spend, the more time you spend engaging the people living there, the more you know. So, for instance, I never knew that most of the time you have to contribute money to eat in Makoko. I got to know like three years after I started working there. You have to contribute money to the community. children, parents. You all bringing money together. Uh, is the food coming from the same place? That is just for them to go buy the food in the market to cook. The family? The family. So the children in the family have to contribute you money? You contribute money and you are not working. So where are you getting money from? Uh, of what age are we talking about here? As early as eight years. As early as eight years, yes. you are expected yeah, by expected. your parents yes, to, bring to your contribute money. money for you to be able to feed. Yes. And that I got to know three years after. So it was just a case of come and learn and you realize that they're not really learning. So there's a deeper problem and I didn't understand what it was for a very, very long time. And I mean, the youngest mother in Makoko is 12. The youngest mother, that means... Which means you're probably not married. Okay, the youngest mother in Lagos is in Makoko or the youngest mother... The youngest mother mother in Makoko is 12. 
So you have 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14 year olds having children. Interesting. And they cannot cater for themselves. They can't cater for the people they are giving birth to. So it's a vicious cycle. So you'll be surprised. I mean, you you should not be surprised to find children and their mother. Maybe the children, maybe a particular girl is 14 and you find the mother may actually be 19 or the mother may be 20 something. It shows that the mother must have probably given birth to that girl when she was 12. So it's a vicious cycle. So the question is, I don't even know if we can put a stop to that. But the girls we are training now knows better that they will go to school. They will complete university. Many of them are thinking masters and they already have practical experiences on right now. They know they have to get married to give birth, not just give birth and take care of the children yourself. As I said, eventually, I think after six months, we started with Makoko. Maybe they started seeing pictures. They were like, oh, your letter has been approved by the correctional center that but we went to the Lagos state time. government. Yes. But let's go back to how you then get into the community. What was the moment that they accepted you after this guy that owns a factory in Makoko got mm-hmm. you in and the first student that you started gathering and your first speech to them and oh yes I, I remember I must have spoken for probably four hours and my voice was cracking because I was just just talking I wasn't sure if I was passing a message across I was telling them about computers and some of them don't even go to school some cannot write their names and they're teenagers so it was like what I was talking was what I was talking about was very foreign to them. So I remembered one of the things I told them is that, for instance, you're giving 50 cents. What do you do with it? Of course, they now start talking. So I remember I got to understand that money is part of the language they speak. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Money is a universal language. I agree. Everywhere. And they were like, oh, I will do this. I'll do that. I said, then what happens to it? I said, then is that the end? That, you know, I pass it on. I pass it out. I said, okay. And you're giving $1. They said, oh, I'll buy this, I'll buy this, I'll buy that. I said, but where are you getting the money from? They said, they are being given. I said, what if you are making the money yourself and you are the one giving? At which one do you, which level do you want to be? The one collecting money and all you are doing with it is just to buy what you can eat or the one making the money and is giving the money out. They were like, oh, they want to be the one making the money. I was like, okay, what we're about to teach you can actually help you make money. Then I was able to get their interest. Wow. That is super, super good, actually, and it's brilliant because then you appeal to something beyond uh, come and learn and be educated to, uh, because all humans are selfish and depending on how you direct your selfishness, you appeal to their own selfish interest and about it and which is some businesses are beyond that but upon that way we are all well not totally altruistic every one of us so but you're able to appeal to that that's great then i remember when we when we had that gathering we had 15 of them we told them to come outside because i mean i was i was just thinking of how a lasting impact can be made so i didn't want the training to be done in makoko even though we must have done like two three trainings in makoko wasn't conducive and i wanted them to see a life other than what they are used to See a different world, see an office space, see where you can belong. And that was what happened. So the first time they were going to step out of Makoko, there were only seven. Yes. A friend of mine, which is Shionik Bide Budget, was the one giving me his boardroom to use on Saturdays. Interesting. For free. So, and I'm like, we're running diesel. We are buying food. I mean, even my friends were the facilitators. I was also teaching because we we're just starting. They were getting tea fair because they didn't even want to be paid. Because they just felt, this thing is free. We can see where the girls are coming from. Just don't worry, we'll teach for free. And that was the case. And I only saw seven. So I thought it's a waste of resources. Where is everybody else? Then I had to go back again to gather them. What's going on? Again, I didn't know what I was dealing with. I just thought I was 
talking to pe- normal people, then you maybe realize that you have to go a different route to talk to them. So I know that when you need to get into Makoko, there are three levels of engagement. There is a community level, which is the chief and the ballers. There is the parents and there is the girls. They all have a mind of their own. So, which means you're talking to the girls, the girls agree with you, their parents can tell them something else. Their parents agree with you, don't talk to the girls, the girls can disappear the day they are made to come for training. And you want to, you want to, you, you have the buy-in of the girls and the parents. If you don't have the buy-in of the ballets and the chiefs, it's a different ballgame. So, why can't people just walk out of Makoko? Is it, is it very close community that you cannot just walk out? You need a permission to walk out and go to that boardroom that you are doing that stuff. Again, we were foreign. Right. We didn't promise money. We didn't promise anything. Even though when the moment they start training outside of Makoko, they start feeding. Feeding has never stopped. Because personally, I just feel you should not have children or teenagers with you for six hours and an empty stomach. It won't work. So that was the angle we took it from. And from 15, because eventually 15 came out for the training on Saturdays. From 15, they grew to 30, 35. Not because we were going back. They were still calling themselves. And of course, we were not so firm with them initially because we understand where they are coming from. So there was a lot of puzzles and games that gets them excited to see that, oh, computer can do this. Some, they were creating the games, but they didn't know they were creating the games. So the fact that, I, I mean, I, it got to a point still in, at, um, at the budget's boardroom that I noticed what was going on. I think we're using code.org where you need to create your steps to get to your destination. And I realized that even we were using one laptop and one screen just for that particular class because we divided the classes into two. So there were about seven girls. They were like 14, 15, 16. The um, 10 to 13, we left them in a different place. And I realized what was going on because it, we didn't give them a laptop to themselves. We didn't even have laptops, only a few. But what I noticed was we we're giving each person to come out to try it in front of the seven girls. And once you miss it, the next person will come back, will come out to try it again. What I noticed was that I found them using their notebooks and barrels to calculate the steps before they come out to create the next move. They were not told what to do. But it just shows, I mean, when I saw that it was a form of learning, form of interest that they are willing to do. Because the next person is saying, I need to get what she did not get. So let me calculate the steps now on paper, then I can make it happen on the computer. That, that did it for me, for instance. I was like, oh my God, these girls are going to go places if they can just continue this way. Were you selective in the girls that you have in the, in the class? Do you have to do some kind of... Initially, we did not. Because the person who knows them from Makoko did that for us. He just said, oh, I know the serious people. I know the ones that won't run away from the school they go to. So they gave us all of them. But we realized that there were 16-year-olds that couldn't spell their name. And then we now had another form of challenge because there were about three sisters and we could not send them away. Because the moment you send them away, their parents come calling for you that you don't like their children. Because there are three sisters. If you're saying maybe sisters, two and of three them of them couldn't do anything. So they had to stay with us for a while. Eventually, we told them they've graduated because we, we didn't even know how to start English classes, mathematics, what to do. If you can't write your own name, then what can you do with computer? It was a lot of was war. I remember, I think we told one not to come a particular day. And of course, the mother started fighting with the neighbor and it was a big problem. Why is she fighting? She was fighting with the neighbor, with the neighbor because she felt, oh, my daughter got to know about this opportunity first. But now my daughter is not going. Your daughter is going. That got to know later. So it was just some petty 
things going on. It was really a battle. I mean, that was at the initial stage. Now we have a test phase okay. whereby people must be tested before, before you come in. There are selection criteria before you come in. So I assume it's not big in Makoko. The ballets will know you or the parents will know you. It's not aspirational for It's you. aspirational because it got to a point they start fighting that is only one particular tribe we're going to. We didn't know anybody. Oh, you didn't even know we didn't the know, dynamics. We didn't know anything. It just goes to the point where we're like, no, why this particular tribe? Why not the other tribe? Why not the other tribe over there? Do we want success for this tribe and we don't want for those ones? So, and we're like, so how many tribes are in Makoko? I don't even know. But when we started, there were 300,000 people living in Makoko. Today, there are a little bit over 400. 400,000 people living in that community. Yes. A quarter lives on land and three quarter lives on water. You won't know how big that place is. Probably to you see a drone. And you see that a particular shanty, because they are, they are in shanties, a particular shanty can actually house 25. So you have a family of one man, maybe three wives, and with 20-something children. In a shanty? Yes. Living in a different community. And some of them don't even come to the main, main Lagos. They don't have business. Nothing. They, because they do everything there. It's, that's what I'm saying. is a different government right there. You can't say you just want to do anything in Makoko. There are people you need to pay. To even do anything. To do anything in Makoko, you need to pay people. You need to settle people because that's the language they actually understand. That's what I'm saying. is a different world there. So my work is not for Makoko. My work is for underserved communities. And that's why we've also trained people from IDP camps in Lagos. Because the IDP camps in Lagos now. From the From Bono. From Bono. Yes. In, in the in Lagos. And yeah, they, they are come to Lagos, Lagos now that we've been. I mean, so we have many of the northerners in Lagos girls that we also train. So because a lot of people tend to believe that it's a Makoko project. No, it was not even the plan. I can imagine if the correctional center had given us approval immediately, maybe we wouldn't have known about Makoko. So it was we waiting for approval of letter that made us start thinking of the next underserved place. Let's talk about what you do uh, and training those girls, so teach them programming. How to create product? The one that everybody might have seen is the CNN feature. Makoko Fresh. Fresh, the lady Sharon, very well spoken, articulated. Mm-hmm. She's quite good, and she represents your brand well. And and how she and her, and her team created that um, website um, uh, marketplace. That is a practical use. Uh, I yeah. saw that actually it was forwarded to me by friends in the UK. It was a moment. So a lot of diasporans are yearning for good news from Nigeria. That one was one of the ones that was going around in different... It really went viral. Yeah, it went around in different WhatsApp groups um, all over. And, but what I saw there is um, a young girl identifying challenge in her community and using technology to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so beyond just learning how to code, uh, which again, we don't want to start replicating. You learn how to code so they can get a job, but you can learn how to code so they can create solutions for problems and create product. What are the key technology you're teaching them? And what are the key skills you're teaching them? As, and then what is the big picture here for you, for those girls? Initially, I, I knew I didn't want it to be a typical school. A typical school is there's an entrance and there's an exit and you probably get a certificate, but you may not be able to do anything with that certificate. So, for instance, we don't encourage giving certificates, even though for some funny reason it may help with self-esteem, may make them feel good. So we may do that on the side, but it's not core. For instance, I have so much certificates, I don't know where they are, because I believe in what your brain can produce more than, what the, more than the paper you carry up and down and say you have something as a result, you're entitled to a job or you're entitled to a contract. So one of the things we make sure they do is to think, what are the problems in your immediate environment? Don't go too far. Don't go to federal government. Don't go to 
constituency and the um, mass of rep in where you live and where you go and where you school what are the problems you see what are the things we don't even call them problems the word problem can be scary so what are the things you are not happy about what are the things you don't feel they are right then they start writing when they write we merge them in groups if you what you've identified and what the next person has identified are similar we put you together in a team and that's why it's a teamwork that they do then we've always been teaching them HTML, CSS, JavaScript, a bit of Python. Now they use Materialize and, and the like. So the question is, what can you do? This is still outside of computer. Computer is on the side. They don't even know they are going to be doing something major with what they are learning, but they are learning. So now start asking them, so what are the likely solutions? So you're just making them think. Then, then they start thinking that, okay, what if we do this? What if we do that? Then you're not like, okay, if that's the case, you have the problem written down. You have the solution written down. Can we make technology around it? Can we make te technology build it? Make people see that this is a solution to a problem. And from and this is this is one of the things you realize when you really, really engage them on a deep level. You don't just pack them as students and say, be here, be out. You make them think, you make them talk. And that's how we're even able to know that there are many fishermen in Makoko. And it is their major occupation, and yet they don't get money. So we are not trying to say, how can they make more money? It's to bring what they do on the computer, make it available technologically-wise, and we're not building it for them. We make them build it, and that's why it took a long time to, to achieve. So, so the idea, so I, I like the process that you went through, ideating, coming up with solutions outside of the tech initially. That watch, this is the world as it is now. And this is the word as it should be, and how can technology help us to get there? Yes. So because the solution might not be technology. Mm -hmm. Sort of people getting stung into this thing about they get hung up about this technology, technology, and then they try to fit technology into every solution. So but you did that. So the girls now identified one of the biggest problems in Makoko was our fathers are fishermen, but they sell to these middle people, middlemen who get all the money but they did that they don't because they don't have that access to market and technology can be the access mm -hmm, to market mm -hmm. for them and so that's and that's what we achieve with makoko fresh we make sure they built it themselves who owns makoko fresh now <laughs> it's a good question because we didn't know it was going to blow like this so oh, we have so to, after the feature it became a big business of course we, we intentionally didn't launch it to the feature so people didn't know about it to the feature the CNN feature. Yes. So how is it now? People are ordering from it. Actually, I wanted to check it out and order from it. <laughs> um, it Even I don't live in Lagos. I mean, since 13th of September, because it was even 13th of September was when the feature came out, but people didn't start using it about two weeks after. So we we're saying like end of September. So September, October, that's like a month and two weeks. It's done 200,000 naira in, in transaction. Which is like just about eight, $700, $800. Yes. How does it work? You go there, you place your order like you place your order on Amazon or anywhere. And we get your orders. We Of course, your payments must have been done. We get your orders, we get your payment. The next day, your seafood gets to your doorstep or wherever it is you want us to deliver. Oh, it's delivered to you as yes. well? Yes, there's a delivery fee there too. So you have logistics. Yes. You have, so the way it works, uh, this is fantastic by the way. So I go online, 
I check all the seafood. And you pick what you want. I pick, and they're all fresh. Some yes. of them are just coming from the sea. Mm-hmm. I pick them and then I tell uh, how much and I pay directly. You pay. And I get a notification that, that I paid. And Successful, then they, blah, blah, and, blah. And yeah. it be delivered to me. Then he wouldn't go to the fisherman to collect it. We have someone in the office who does that. Who will go and collect it. In yes. The, and I collect Pays it. Pays them and gets it to you. So Sharon, is she the CEO of that? <laughs> well, it's it's um, a group of five girls built it. Sharon was highlighted because her father lives there. I mean, there's another girl who also lives in Makoko, who is also part of the group. And her father is also a fisherman. But because she was highlighted, they don't, the girls don't even know much about how we operate because we don't want to turn them to be the sellers of it. Their work is to build it. Okay, they just built it. They just built it. So the logistics, so logistics and the way it is works. what we are now <laughs> bombarding ourselves with, which is not supposed to be. Again, we didn't know how fight was going to go. We just wanted a situation whereby girls can create what works. Right. And now that it's gotten to where it is now, we are in the process of registering it as a company. Right, and getting a proper and CEO getting, to run Exactly, it. getting someone to just sort it out so that it is not on our neck as a foundation. Right. We don't want to bring the two together, but we've been able to, we had to do that for a while since it came out. Right, I, I can understand how, how, how that could be. And, and you need to capitalize on that, or else if you have this rush, that's what helps Startup CEOs don't know. And you have a rush of PR, pay press release, and if you don't match up with Google, one of the things stuff. we are not even doing yet, we are not even advertising it as much so that we don't get so much demands that you can't fulfill the others. I mean, people order things as, as much as $100 one person. When we see it, we're like, oh my God, is this still same seafood? We're like, you know, we need to just set up a business angle of it and make it have a life of its own. Yeah. And where I'm looking at it is how proceeds from that thing can actually help out the girls who built it. Yes. I, I can pay university fees in the nearest future in another three years, four years. They are, I mean, their future can be secured as a result of what they've been able to build. Yeah, and also the what conf- we are looking at. And also the confidence of building a business, yes. uh, of being a startup founder, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is quite great. And I can see a lot of ways in which you can work, actually, where if you get a very good business development person, we can go to restaurants uh, I'm sure there are thousands and thousands many, of restaurants in, 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 in Lagos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just, okay, we're going to focus on restaurants in BI, Kuile, and just tell them, okay, there's the social impact aspect of it, and there is the, actually you're getting good deal because you're caught in the middleman. You order on this platform, you order, and then we get it delivered to you from Makoko, and you can even put a recipe in your menu and say, this is Makoko fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can change it. You can have a, a kind of recipe or, or, or a menu that says Makoko, fresh from Makoko today. So this fish that you're eating now, or this seafood, arrived from Makoko today and it's just caught around the lagoon. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that can be massive on its own. Yeah, so we, we, it's no longer something they are playing with because, I mean, it served a lot of people already. People were there and they get it delivered. And so this is what works. But the question is, there are people who built it. How can they benefit from it? I mean, already the fishermen are making money little, little here and there. But we also want the girls that built it to, because they'll be proud of it tomorrow to say, when I was a teenager, I built this. It's paying my school fees now. Mm-hmm. And they can be ambassadors for social, social change and yes. social good with that. Yes. And you can never tell what that, what that can do to 185 million people in Nigeria. Yes. To yes. know that what you build, I mean, which goes back to my own personal journey. 
economic independence through technology. How can technology help your life? Because you have, you still have 20 year olds saying that my father said, my father said. My father said, my father said. I'm sorry to say many of them, their father are not even educated. But I realize that it is not a thing of my father said. It is them giving you a bridge. Because there was a girl we were, try, we were, so, we were trying so much, we gave her an internship opportunity with another company. And we realized that she wasn't forthcoming. There was a lot of struggle. She didn't feel good. She needed an environment to feel good. The environment she was in is a tech world. You don't need to feel good. Your brain needs to feel good. But she wasn't ready to explore the, the opportunity with the brain thing. And she started messing up. And the founder of the organization started complaining to me because she was just trying to do a form of CSR, learn and get paid because you're not really doing anything. And I stepped in to say what you're making right now, two thirds must be saved towards your school because she knows that parents won't pay her school fees. But you can also start something that can pay your school fees. So eventually she left to go back to teaching public school where she feels good and they praise her and call her mommy at 20 years old. And you're not, you don't have, you're not in school, you're not in university. So there have been a lot of people that has, that they've passed through the system, but we, we, we just, there's a lot of struggle to make them learn, especially from Akoko. It is difficult. It, because you can so when people have been conditioned from very, very young to fit that kind of life, so, and then it's, it's, this, it's a classic, um, classic development um, dilemma. Where somebody from the US, uh, UK, uh, saw Africa, and saw a lot of people struggling and said, we're going to come in and help. In your own case, you are like that. You're from mainland Lagos, looking at Makoko, and you think this is what they need, and we come in and, and you intervene. Uh, without some of the nuances that you don't know, that you now know about uh, children and, and expectations and culture and stuff and tribe. And you don't know that. And, and it's very easy for us to look at, why are you wasting this opportunity? Mm-hmm. It's very easy for us to be judgmental. But you have to understand the condition, how this person has been conditioned from year two, even from year long one, a long time. And, and the kind of expectations that they have for themselves is totally different. And, and, and it's just understanding that it helps us to be humble mm-hmm. and, and also help you to not to be too disappointed when you put in a lot into a particular person and they don't turn out well because you cannot help everyone. Mm-mm. And your definition of help or our definition of help is totally different from some people's definition of help for themselves. But I want to underline something here for some people that are listening to us. And that might be able to help. I think we can take what Abiso is doing to the next level, especially with Sharon as an example, where these ladies have built a business, a viable business, and they are unique people to build a business. Makoko Fresh could be massive. Mm-hmm. The one I can think of are hotels and restaurants. They can even create a menu just for Makoko. And it's okay, this particular food in Lagos is quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Restaurants, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you can say, okay, we're going to create a menu for this. It's going to be Makoko, whatever. Uh, but if the, the seafood and blah blah from that is from Makoko and it's fresh and we, and if you buy this food you're supporting those guys from Makoko and you can even say maybe another 10 or 20 percent or 10 percent of that is going directly towards the education of ladies in Makoko you can do that so I believe somebody is listening to the like, to take that to the next level probably you have chains of restaurants or you know or you are a buyer you're the merchandiser or the buyer for restaurants in Lagos so you want to get in touch with Abisoye on PearlsAfrica.org or ORG and take that forward. But I really, I want to, to wrap up now, but I want to talk about a few things and, and that is what is next for you? What is the big picture for Abisoye with the Brass? There's a Africa? big picture and there's, a, there's an immediate picture. 
the immediate picture is the next level, but I have a feeling the immediate and the big picture may be working together very soon. The immediate is to expand our facility and increase the size of our faculty. What do you mean facility? Um, facility. Our facility can take 50 girls at a time learning, and we've been limited, even though we're just one year, three months in a facility. So the girls come to you? Yes. There's a center. Where? Yaba, where um, Andela used to be, the old Andela building on the ground floor. So that's where they come to on a daily basis. And for instance, summer period, when I say summer period, July, August, we, don't, we can't take more than 50 in that space. We need, to, we need a bigger space. And it's the same space you find facilitators. They don't even have where to sit. And we can't take more than 50 with computers. It's always tight. That has to, that has to increase. Then the um, facilitators, we need to bring in more facilitators. And I'm no longer of the school of thought that you should come and work for free. We have volunteers. Some of them are even free on weekends for weekend classes. That they're ready to just come in with their own money, do everything they need to do. They feel good doing it, and we appreciate it. But we need to have more people on a daily basis, and that is what they do, and that's what they get paid for doing. And that's, that's what I mean, that we need to um, increase the faculty So you need size. to have um, full-time faculty Full-time members. faculty members. We have about two just two now. at the moment. Yes. But so everything during, you're doing, how many staff do you have at the moment? Well, um, it's only during the summer period we have, we can have um, about 15 because when you have 50, 55 girls in the center, you need more hands for them. Some are just supporting. But we realize that even the office assistant is a coder who wow. came in as office assistant because you, you, you can't be in the environment and something great is happening and you're not tapping into it. You must. Even though we don't compel you, you know better that you don't want to miss out. So the office assistant is a coder. And she, she is currently teaching the other girls when they come for after school program. So yes, that's where we need to get to immediately. And when I say that, I mean the next summer should not meet us where we are right now because we need to be able to take more people. Where are you getting your current funding from? We started with family and friends, personal funds, family and friends. I have a consulting firm. I mean, businesses may not be coming all the time. Oh, you still work? You I, still, still do I still do that on the side. What do you do? Web development, social media related stuff, graphics, brochure, infographics, and the likes. And of course, trainees, proper trainees for companies. We do that too. So that I do on the side. So that's what I, I can say I used to survive because not necessarily the foundation. Because the foundation, you the just, foundation, you're just putting money in it. You're just putting money in it because what is going on there, the people you are training are not bringing money in. So you need to be pouring money in with the hope that they do something great with their life. It is a foundation. It's not a business. Would you prefer to be doing this full time? I actually do this full time. I say not doing it. I say paying you... What I mean full-time, not, not a time, because I know you're even spending more time than full-time job. <laughs> what I mean is uh, a proper, it's well-funded enough to well support Well-funded enough you. to support, yes. We prefer uh, to do this. Yes. Because your, your consulting was just to support you. The consulting is even on the side. So there are yeah. months that we may not do anything on the side of that. And there are teams for that. So which means when we do stuff for clients, there are people being paid that works for the consulting firm. So it is whatever it is that we get there that I probably use for myself and bring back in again to the foundation. When you say we, what, what do you mean we? That, that group of people that, that work, we work with you on the consulting. Yes, consulting. So yes, we need to get to that point. And I know it's probably a growth process. I do this full time. My consulting is just on the side of, okay, at times we, we do proposals from the consulting firm and we give it out. I realize that the company is going to, they're asking who did this work? Because a proposal can never just be words. 
they must be infographics. And because they want the annual reports to be like that, now we get jobs that the consulting firm is doing and percentage is now coming back again to the foundation. So some percentage of your consulting profit is going to to the foundation. Yes, but that's how we started. That's not where we are right now. U.S. Embassy has been supportive. Union Bank has been very, very supportive. Budget is still supporting to today. Yeah, and must we've done something with Australian Commission at some point. And I think that's about, those are the top. And recently you got this uh, nomination to CNN Africa Heroes. CNN Euros is an international award. Yes, I was someone nominated me last year. We didn't take it serious. And I started getting calls and mails, I think, April this year. It initially was a joke because I thought it was spam mail until I checked it. It was a good thing I didn't delete it. I checked it and I was like, oh, a call from CNN. I was like, which CNN? I mean, even CNN Africa has not reached out before. And yes, CNN Europe was reaching out before I was transferred to CNN New York for the interview. So I never knew it was even saying I was just talking freely. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is where we started from. This is my life, ABCD. And of course, after some months of rigorous interviews, our story got approved for shooting. So, and that means we, I qualify for the 25 CNN heroes from all over the world. I've, I mean, they've always said it that when you get on top 10, it's a different ballgame because you are looking for votes. You are being shown on CNN International every day for a month plus. And of course, it qualifies you for a $10,000 guarantee. Then you need to now look for votes to get the $100,000. I mean, $100,000. So right now, we are all CNN heroes, but there is a CNN hero of the year. Is what we are now looking for, for votes for to get the prize and bring it home and expand what we do. And you are the only one from Nigeria or Africa? I'm the first from Nigeria in 12 years, and I'm the only one from Africa this year. Super interesting. And that, uh, we hope by the time this uh, podcast comes out, you will have won it. <laughs> um, that is going to make a lot of difference, right? It's going to make a lot of difference because I remember we during the summer period, we did a training for two weeks in Joss for girls. That's children of police officers, soldiers, so I remember knowing the complications of you going to just and making girls come out of their comfort zone was a bit difficult, but we still had to train them and we made sure that the training was done in the barracks because we didn't want issues. We don't want issues of maybe they're being kidnapped or there was shootings going on anywhere. So that's something we had to do. And because, I mean, I've been told over time that girls in just actually need more intervention than girls in Lagos because... They just believe that their life is to get married. So they don't even get to any point in their life. They just maybe, some may not even finish secondary school. They just marry. Some, they just give birth. That they don't really have a lot going for them. And that's why we have to introduce computers to them. So we mean, I mean, not, we, we don't have a physical center there yet. And I know how much it costs us just to do two weeks program. Over 500,000 naira. Just for two weeks. For 30 girls. Two weeks program, 500,000 naira, which is... Like one thousand seven hundred dollars just for two weeks, and that's because and how many students? Thirty. So one thousand seven hundred dollars can train thirty students, and that was just basics of computers, not even coding. Yeah, but I understand that. But it just that's that's how much that literal amount of money can go. Oh yes, it can go very very far, and um, I mean, I I have a feeling it can it, it could have been more. But my younger sister is there, 
So she helped out with a lot of logistics. So there were people billing us for different things. For instance, we don't have laptops to send to just. We had to rent laptops and you are being charged every day. So there are people in the US who are listening to this who say, I've got laptops. I've got, our company is about to dispose some laptop. I can get that to you because you're going far. So there are many ways this can be supported. Sure. Yeah, we hope that you win that $100,000 CNN euros, but there are many ways in which this can be supported and it could go a long way. Sure. That there could be uh, people actually coming to spend time as well and volunteering for yes. summer and teach, or people even sending computers yeah. and, and, and laptops to girls and donating them to these girls in Jaws in Makoko IDP. Uh, or people providing them with access to market or mentoring them about, about how to build business. There's so I'll much that can yes, be done. a lot can be done. A lot can be done. I mean, laptops can be a starting point because even there are people we train that we can't give laptops to because we don't even have all the laptops we need at the center. And yes, people need to continue their training even when they are not at the center. What happens? So I know we, we still have a long way to go. And you asked me for my long-term plan. It's the girls' village. It's a space where girls can live and learn. Why do you want to take them away from the community that they can make more impact? They are making more impact anywhere, anyhow. Already, even in Lagos, people ask us for accommodation to come into Lagos, and we don't have that. So you can imagine what can happen for two months in the summertime where they are not distracted by anything and they are learning. Where you, I mean, we can lift girls off the streets and they are in a place whereby they can be polished, both brain and physically. And that's what um, the girls' village will be all about. It's not just going to be tech. Tech is still going to be the focus, and there are going to be other programs around it. Super interesting. Super. It's great to have you. I'm going to ask you a series of fire and question um, just to end this interview. Uh, I'll ask all my guests that question, or most of my guests that question. Um, it's just one statement. Question. So what is your biggest business pain point at the moment? Biggest pain point that you have in your business? Pain points. points. Yeah, the challenge, the biggest challenge that you have. It's really to access funds, but I so funding funding because we've we've gotten so many rejection mails, more than the few successful mails we've gotten to say, oh, let's work together, let's do this together. We've not raised re- reasonable amount of money yet, so everything has just been our sweats, our time. And everything. So funding and being able to speak the language, probably getting a grant writer to actually put the word out there. The way the donors understand it or want to understand it. Funding. It's one of the biggest challenges, by the way, for NGOs non- and CSOs. non-profit yeah, organizations like yours. So, yeah. Um, and there could be some people that could help with that as well, maybe listening to this. What is your number one growth metric? What do you look at in your organization to indicate that you are growing? Mm, what we look at, our growth metric is what can the girls do with what they have been able to learn? What can they build? How so are outcomes. they thinking? Outcomes, yes. How are they thinking? Because you must think. How do you measure that? It's really about the products they can come up with, the solutions they can come up with, the problems they've been able to identify, and how they've been able, they are building solutions to it. Yes, yeah, really about the outcome. Which book are you reading at the moment? Right now, I'm trying to write my own. I'm trying to complete my own book. You're writing a book? Yes. That's good. It should be out in January. Awesome. So you're almost there. Almost oh, there. you finished it? You're just editing? Well, I think I'm just struggling with 
the part of the interview I granted today has not been included in that book yet. <laughs> so I got something out of yes, you. Yes. Awesome. So this whole part has not been there yet. And I know a lot of people want to know how I started because everybody believes I probably have raised so much money, but I also need to tell people that you need to have the heart for change. It's not really about the money when you start, but also you need money to expand and grow eventually. Yeah. So yes, a lot of this that I've said today is not in my book yet and I've not had the time to actually put it in the book. It's but funny though, you said that, uh, I hear that a lot when people come to this show, uh, that I, I, find, I find a way of getting some things that they've not said. People, a lot of my guests, say they, people will call them and say, I didn't know that about you, even though I've been your friends for some time. That's why I like what I do, right? So I, I hear about interesting people or I read a book or something like I'm I'm such one of the luckiest guy in the world. It's okay, I can I can have a chat with that person, um, and I know if if I just me say I want to have a chat with the person, who are you? But if I invite them to my podcast, they're gonna tell me so many things. <laughs> I'm gonna learn so many things from them. So I have. I have opportunity to to be to be mentored by different entrepreneurs and to have free consulting with them by just inviting them to my podcast and asking them questions. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's good. So it's good that I'm looking forward to your book. Maybe we have to get you back to the show no to talk about that book as well. So last question: Which business is or which organization is getting you excited apart from yours? I'll say probably budget because budget is also an NGO and I knew when they started and how far they've grown. I think they have about 40 staff now and I think they are where I've not gotten to and there's a lot to learn. And um, what I can see right now, because I mingle with a lot of people that works with budget, they are all brilliant people. Many of them even have master's degree for God's sake. So there are times I run away from my office because I am with the girls every day, 247-365. So at, there are times I need people on my level to just say something different. Not that I'm solving a problem, I'm looking at this, I'm complaining, I'm suffering from burnout and all those things. So I go and mingle with people that works with budgets. There are times I even show them, I'm like, what do you think about this? And the way they'll work on the particular, maybe four lines, five lines, is different. And I know it's just the caliber of people who work there who they are, where they are coming from, and what they contribute to the growth of the organization. So I also know that when people come to my organization, there's a lot of learning they have to do, and they are currently doing. So you must be doing other stuff apart from just teaching these girls how to code. There must be some personal relationships, emotional stuff that you are the person that they come to and talk about. Talk about things, talk about probably potential sexual abuse or or emotional stuff. Our mentoring mentoring class actually takes care of that. When we do that, we bring in professional ladies from different fields and sectors. I mean, the one I did on my birthday, for instance, which I will try not to make it only on my birthday, so it's not just a one-off, is that we, we had different issues which I, I actually, I think I wanted my touch to be there, so I did it myself, which is we just typed different issues girls are facing all over Nigeria and all over the world, and we printed on the cardboard and with a neck tag, and we made sure that all the mentors wore these neck tags when they came over to the office. We had prepped the girls before that you can't afford to be shy. When you see someone wearing an issue on your mind, you walk up to them, greet them, and talk to them and that was all played out we eventually spent six to eight six to eight hours on my birthday doing that in the office interesting we didn't touch laptops they were just people moving around mentors and we had over 20 ladies at the space and over 30 girls 
Interesting. And realized that the, there was a particular issue they did not want to stand up with. It has to do with sex-boyfriend relationship. So the lady that was wearing that tag, we, have, we found almost 10 girls sitting down in front of her. Like, okay, it's time to move to the next mentor. And they didn't want to stand up because they just wanted to keep asking questions. So I make sure that the work doesn't come from only me. They see me every day. So can they see other people they can talk to? And that was what we did. Interesting. So you you almost like the, um, the sometimes parent that can talk about a few things that they won't even talk to their parents they about. They even tell me things about how their father prefers their brothers over them. You'll be surprised what I had to tell them because, I mean, I'm not too, so I'm not surprised. This thing happens all over Nigeria, if not all over Africa, that boys are will always be better than girls. It's oh. everywhere. They think that boys they are... They think okay. that boys are better than girls. In Makoko, parents told me to leave their girls and train their boys because their boys are more important to them than their girls. And yet, I mean, everywhere people are telling me that we not do boys coding. And I'm like, if you have someone who is ready to do it, I will give the person a mechanism to do it. If we have the funds, we'll make sure you get it. We'll share our curriculum. we share everything we do so that you can train the boy child. But you are not doing I'm that. I'm not going to do it directly. That's not your calling. No, yes. Which is good. I like that focus. Yeah. It's great to have you here. I know this is going to be an interesting conversation, but it's actually more than I expected. Thank you very much, Abisay, for coming to the show. Thank you. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future and you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T-H-E-S-T-A-R-T-A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks. Thanks.